a few years. Now, it'd be almost three years ago. It seems crazy, doesn't it, that it could be that long ago? Um, but it's really, really so lovely to be back here and talking perhaps about things that are so, I feel so passionate about these days. I absolutely adore that song. Who knows that song? Many of us know the song and yet don't really know the story of Vincent Lingari and an Aboriginal elder up in the Northern Territory who back in the 60s when the stockmen, the Aboriginal stockmen were paid 20% what the white stockmen were paid. People talk about him as being this literate, illiterate kind of man and I always think, I think that's a ridiculous representation of a man who just came with a different set of intelligences and a different set of abilities because he had the capacity to mobilise and change a nation, really. Back in those days, he, he said, you know, we're going to go on strike. And it was a tough strike because you went on strike and you had nothing. And he did that for eight years. Got the men to mobilise and travelled the country and eventually... One day, Gough Whitlam came and, you know, there's a sense a start of history happened there. But I think about that fact, there's one man starts, you know, from little things, these incredible things grow. And I think about you and me and think about how we often see ourselves and we get pushed into being things that maybe we are and maybe we aren't. And we underestimate, really, what God wants to do in our lives, don't we? And I think about myself and, I've, you know, most people, I've been a you know, church minister for a long time and, um, you know, I kind of think that sometimes I feel pushed into still being a church minister in that traditional way of coming across as being really, really spiritual, a particular kind of spirituality, which means that I'll speak in spiritual words and I'll say all these things that appear to be, make me look like this really strong spiritual person, but you know what? I'm actually just a girl who adores God. That's really who I am. So much so that I want to be like him. I just want to be like him. And then I want to love people the, the way that he would love them. And, and then I want to just do what he wants of me. And that's, that's like all I've got to give. And if anyone needs more spiritual words from me than that, I just don't have them. You're just going to have to go to God and find out, I think, the same thing for you. Because from those tiny, tiny little seeds of faith in the God of the heavens, who created heaven and earth, and who came to me as a little, little girl, he just keeps adding little bits here and there, and I get things right and lots, of, lots and lots of things wrong. But all I want to do is be that. And... I come today and I come to talk and in one respect I just come to say, please don't ask of me any more than that. <laughs> don't expect anything more than that because ultimately I've got nothing more to give. I can only actually be what God is in me and I can only share what the understandings that he gives me along the way and what I pray is that you come here eager to know what he is saying to you the tiny little things that he's planted in you, are you willing to let them grow? And I don't mean just as individuals, I mean as a church. What has he planted? I actually think that that's what the kingdom is like. In fact, scripture would suggest it is what the kingdom is like. There's a parable of the mustard seed, and it says this. 
Can I throw that behind me? And he tells them a parable. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed. I might get out of the way. Can everyone see that? I really don't like it when you can't see it. Can you see it? Some are nodding, some are shaking. That's kind of, anyway, maybe I'll get your Bibles. Matthew 13, 31, 32. He tells this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Just try and get that picture in your head. This is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom in you, the kingdom in here, the kingdom across the world. It's like this tiny little seed which we take and we plough, we put into a field and we, we look after it. And it's this tiny little seed, but then it grows. And it grows not just to be bigger than a herb, but it grows to be this monstrous tree. And when it becomes this monstrous tree, the trees, the birds come and they perch in it and they find a home. I think this love, the thing about Jesus and when he tells these parables is that sometimes I think we make them so complicated. We want to see metaphors and analogies and we, we can overcomplicate them because I think they're easy to understand. I think the, these, they, they explain a truth. And most often they have a singular truth, um, which we need to read as part of a whole. But I like this, what this, I heard this thing saying. His parables, this is Jesus' parables, they tell the story of a different world of the way that things ought to be, of life as ruled by God's generosity and goodness. His parables cut against the social and religious grains of his day. They went against the expected and the acceptable. They directly opposed the idea is this is the way we do things here. If we ever think this is the way we do things here, I reckon we are so far off the road. Because I think Jesus says, this is the way we do things here from little things, from tiny, tiny little things, big things grow. And then Matthew 13 is a chapter of tell, talking about eight parables of God in the earth. And we're talking here this, this, this month about what on earth is God doing? This is what God is always doing. He's always planting these tiny little seeds and saying, you let them grow, they're going to grow so big that thousands of birds are going to be able to come and perch and find their home. You know, just we read about that parable, and I, I do think these things are relatively simple. Tell me, what, what do you think that parable is saying to us? Tell me, call out a couple of things about the parable of the mustard seed, and let's just list them down here. You can call out when my back's turned. Come on, let's do this. What's one thing you got out of that parable? Okay, that people can be the seeds. We have soil. What else? Pardon? Yeah, I think it is. It, what, what you're saying is it's often not the way the world thinks, is it? But it actually is. It's a, maybe it's in contrast to the world. And why is it in contrast to the world? What are the things that are not like the world. What is it saying here that you go, this is not what the world thinks? You don't have to be great to great to Oh, where are you? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I 
greatness can be small. You've got to plant that seed. Yeah, what else? It grows big. But let's just say this, greatness doesn't have to be, right? What else? Oh, yeah, you've got you to tend it. That whole idea, you've got to tend it. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate. My writing is appalling. That hasn't changed. <laughs> Pardon? From little things. You got that, didn't you? I like the fact you got that. From little things like this. Gigantic. Big things grow. And, you know, I love that last line. And when they grow, birds come and find a home. When we... Yeah. And other homes grow too. You know? It is a profound metaphor. It is not the way of the world, where most people only ever care about the bigness of things. And here's Jesus, the greatest teacher, who starts a movement 2,000 years ago, which now has about a third of the world's population impacted by it. A tiny little seed which fell into the ground and died. And from this little thing, amazing, amazing things grow. This is the story of the kingdom. This is the story of you as an individual. This is the story of us collectively. This is the story of the church. And he plants this seed of faith and hope and love, grows into the biggest movement on the whole earth. You know, there's a few, I mean... I'm telling you, you say all these things and I know all of you got all of those things as you read it because the parables are not mysteries. The parables are truths that you were just asked, will you live like this is true? Or will you say, no, this is the way we do things here? I, I, don't, I don't really give a rip about what the world says that things are supposed to look like. Because I actually know that this is what God says. This is the way of the world. This is the way of his world. This is the way of his kingdom. And if we live like this is true, in the way we treat others, in the way that we think about our own futures, in the way that we treat our children, in the way that we value the poor and the destitute and the Vincent Lingardis of this world, that is what God is like. That's the way of the kingdom. I get a bit emotional when I think about it. And maybe it's because, like this gentleman said, because it's so often not the way that we want to, we actually live naturally. I was thinking that um, a couple of things. Number one thing for me is that in God's economy, small is not insignificant. In God's economy, small is not insignificant. Even to the point that we have to always talk about growing and growing and growing, sometimes we're not acknowledging that small is significant. And God loves it. 
And when you think what you're doing is this tiny little thing, when you're caring for your neighbour and you think, oh, you know, everyone cares for their neighbour. They don't, not everyone does care for their neighbour. And when you do it, he sees it. And you bring your small bit of offering to the table and say, gosh, God, what, cha- what change is that going to bring about? The widow's might was this precious thing to God, the small that she had. I just think we need to celebrate the small instead of always only waiting for it to become big before we're willing to celebrate. Oh, yeah, I'll celebrate it when it grows. No. That tiny little thing you've, put, you've seen in your son and your daughter, that tiny little gift is what God gave. But I also think the second thing it says there is true. Waiting is necessary. Waiting is necessary. Time to tend that little seed so it grows into whatever God wants it to be. There's actually, you know, in our word, world, we just hate the idea of waiting, don't we? I don't even like waiting at lights. Nevertheless, waiting for a tree to grow. I'm like, I, I mean, patience is not my virtue. Is anyone else, is any, who has got patience as a wonderful virtue? Who is their strength? Who's their strength? Which in the room here says I'm a great waiter? I mean, I'm sitting at that restaurant when I've made my order and I'm just about, you know, and the poor waiter's thinking, you've only just given me the order, you're already calling to me to, you know, when's it arriving? I just... But I actually know waiting is necessary. You know, we bought our first house back in 1985 and we bought the cheapest house we could. It was in Guildford, it was $33,000. Think about it now, that was a cheap house, wasn't it? It equated to one year's wage for each of us. But it was a very dodgy house. It really stunk of um, dog, I remember. So much dog in it to just pull all the fittings out of it because it was that. It was a bit of a wreck, right? But from that little home, you know, we did our renovations. From that little home, put in a first kitchen and it was a real basic second-hand kitchen, but when we put a new one in, it was a second-hand one, but we thought it was just beautiful. We had our first child, had our first dog, From that little beginning, the waiting is necessary. The waiting is necessary. But the, third, the thing that I, one of the things I absolutely love about this, this story that Jesus tells is that it provides a home. That when you actually allow something to get planted and then you wait, it's not only going to serve you, it's, it's going to serve people around you. It's going to had the capacity to serve a family of three sons who are now fully grown and who are now, one's started his own home and we've now got one grandson and expecting a granddaughter. And I'm like, look what happens. From little things, big things grow. And it can not only serve us, but it serves others. I I love the picture that this paints, which is the idea of it's this fully grown tree and birds are sitting on its branches. Does that not give you a sense of of incredible beauty. You know, we see this wisdom in everyday life, if we think about it. But I can promise you, nowhere is it more obvious than in the developing world, than the area of mission. I think if we can think about our mission thinking, our monthly, you know, here we are thinking about it for a month, but let's think broader. We we can start to understand understand the little planting that we do ripples out, ripples out, ripples out. 
until there's so many birds perched on those branches. We saw today the perching in India, that's starting the other trees that happen and then the, 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 the branches that the trees are perching. But you think about it as well with, I was thinking of the International China Concern, which has been a walk that you guys have done recently. And I look back and I realise they started that 26 years ago. 26 years ago of just faithful planting, watering and tending. And just this last year, they've got registered by the government, which was extremely difficult to get in China. Um, the way the Chinese government is going, it's a very difficult registration to get. I know they've successfully been, had their registration renewed. <clears throat> you know, I've, um, one thing I'm involved in now, one thing I do is lead the Foxglove Project. And Foxglove is an um, a organisation working with women and girls. And I was thinking the, the image that we use is a tree. Interesting enough, right? It is a tree. And... I, and the word foxglove has a meaning. So when you hear the meaning, it makes sense. When you first hear foxglove, you think, what on earth is that about? But it's actually, a, it's actually a kind of plant. But there's four beautiful things about this plant. Number one, this plant shelters other plants in the garden, right? Which is this idea that other bird, birds can come and perch in its branches. But next thing about it, it's very hardy and very resilient because it has to be when you grow up in those kind of climates and those kind of contexts, you've got to be a pretty hardy person, a hardy woman. Third thing is it's self-sustaining. It sows itself that plant. And we need things that are kind of self-sustaining so they can grow, not so that we don't have to give anymore, but so that they start to grow up on their own. But fourthly, it's got a quality that can treat the heart. And we always want whatever we do not to come from just good intentions but to come from a sense of our heart to other people's heart that they may expand. You know, I just wanted to give, use a kind of um, a metaphor, I guess, in explaining this concept of from little things, big things grow, because the big thing that we do at Fox Love, one of the main thing that we do is a thing called um, women's self-help groups. And, you know, I really believe in this concept that you have to plant these little seeds and you have to allow time for them to grow that they may become a fully developed tree and carry other birds in, the, in, the, um, in their own branches. So what you do, what we do in the self-help groups is that they go into the poorest communities. And here's all these. This is a seed, by the way, just in case you get unclear about this. Okay, so you have all these little seeds, and, and these seeds in a community represent the poorest women. These women would live outside of the village, be down, these are in rural areas and the women live outside the village. They've got a village centre, but they're the women who live maybe, maybe amongst the banana plantations, maybe just in a real, little remote hut. Maybe they'll just live looking in with the animals. And, and what happens is these seeds are just scattered. They're not planted. And on their own, what happens to a seed? It's not planted. It just withers and dies, doesn't it? And, you know, what they, the first thing they do is they, we bring these women into a, into a community meeting. And what I love at these community meetings is that what they do is recognise you can't just gather seeds together that aren't like seeds. Because if one is too, is too mature, it'll actually take all the nutrients. But the idea is they gather women and they gather these women and they have a community meeting. And out of the side of this community meeting, they form them into groups of 20 and I've gone to these little meetings before and they have, what they do is they put like, you have a piece of dirt and on that dirt, all these couple of hundred women are just standing there. And what they say is they do a little markers out and they organise where they all live and what the infrastructure is. And, and then they say to these women, 
tell us about your level. Who's the poorest woman in the village, they say? Now, if you had someone said that in this room, who's the poorest woman here, who would want to put their hand up? Oh, that's me. I'm just absolutely no one in this village. But you know what they... One, one, in the end, what they do is they push one woman into the middle and they say, you're the poorest woman. I, I don't know, that's not like actually winning, is it? But she, the poorest woman gets pushed into the middle of the village and they say, what do you have? And she says, I beg for one meal a day. I, um, I, don't, have, I don't have a home. If I can work, get a hoe, I have to go and hire a hoe so I can go and work in the field. I'm illiterate. I've never been to school. I have nothing. And then what happens is another 19 women come and join her and say, you're just like me. And that becomes a group of 20 women who make a commitment to stay together for life. You know, you and I, you, do you want to even commit to come along to the next home group, you know? Like you say, I'll let you know later in the week. Don't we? Does anyone do that? Or am I the only person who tries to do that, like dodge things? I mean, we are the greatest evaders of any sense of commitment that's gone around. And here these women go, I'll commit to you for the rest of my life. I just think it just paints this quite amazing picture. That then over time, over 20, and you know what, I hear these, and sometimes I hear tiny stories and everyone wants to hear the big stories. Like what, are the, what is the economic change that happens with these women? Because they actually end up starting tiny businesses. They get training and then they start businesses. And I say to people, micro-businesses, can I tell you guys the idea of starting a business? You all think about going and starting that electric, you know, oh, we're going to go and get a shop and, you know, set up an electrical retail business or something. A lot of we, we just think big. But these women and I, one of my favourite stories, one of my favourite stories I've ever heard from a woman is a woman who was in her late 60s who said to me, I came to a group and I had nothing. I had no family. I lived alone. I just lived out in the fields. I, could, I, I begged to feed myself one meal a day and I could not see myself as having any future. And then someone came to her and found her in a field and kept asking her until she agreed to come to a group. And she came to a group and she got, came to a meeting and she got organised into one of those groups. And after six months, she said, I thought, what am I going to do for a business? She'd had the training, so she said, I, I thought maybe I could work for one of the other women. Maybe they'll let me work for them. They said, no, no, we've all got to do our own business. So she took a loan for 1,000 Rwandan francs, which equates to about $1.50. That's a big loan, isn't it? Bet you'd all be worried about that. But for her, she's never held that much money in her hand at one time. So with that $1.50, she put aside, she thought, I'm going to take this one section of it. She took 1,000 francs and she walked out of town about a kilometre. And she found a farmer who was farming little, I mean, when I say farmer, a farm would be half the size of this room who was growing avocados. She said, I bought four avocados. This is a big business, right? Bought four avocados, and then she said, I walked to the market, and I put down my scarf, and I put the avocados on it, and she said, and that day, I sold the four avocados for 500 Rwandan francs profit, which was half her money, which is almost a dollar. And she said, that's the day I believed I could look after myself. And with that, she was able to rent a house, feed herself three meals a day, meals a day, get private health insurance, and she had friendship with that group. And I said to her, what do you do today? Because this was two years later. She looked at me a little bit shocked. She said, I, go to, I walk out of town, 
I get my four avocados, I go to the market and I sell them. <laughs> Every day. Every day. You know what? Little, little is beautiful. Because she can, out of that little, she's providing for herself. She's not strong enough to go and work a field. She's not strong enough to stand on her feet all day and sell. But she's strong enough to walk out of that town, buy four avocados and go to market and look after herself. I think that's pretty spectacular. You know, after about a year, these, these groups, ten, 10 groups in a village come together. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, sorry about that. Eight, nine, ten. And they form a, a village cluster. And each of those groups gives, nominates two women to go into the leadership group. Okay, you get what I mean. You get the gist. And over here, this becomes the cluster who now becomes the group who coordinates the 10. They never need any investment because that committee now looks after them. And I think to myself, from this tiny little seed, scattered, one of these groups of these women are now leading 200 women? That just doesn't seem possible. So I go back every year and I see that they can do it. They actually can lead it. Not only that, no longer are they just worried about the grassroots needs of each of the women. Now their eyes are up. They're starting to think, what does the village need? So they're building the local preschool, funding the teachers of the local preschool. They're bringing electricity into that village. They're actually starting market shops. They're actually developing training centres that can teach the young people. And I'm like... This, you know, this last year I went back and I went to a village which was only started up two years ago. They only formed one of these two years ago. And when I arrived, there was about 40 women I've never seen in my life sitting there. And I thought, what's happened? What's happened? Have they lost, have some of the women left the group and now they've had to replace them? So I kept saying to Jeanne d'Arc, who was the coordinator of, these, of this, who are these ladies? And she's looking at me very, giving me a little smile and a bit of a smirk. And I'm thinking, what's she... You know, what is going on? She gets up to speak and she says, since you have been gone, since your organisation is no longer, we're no longer needed in that village because they've got their own committee, but still they're our friends, so I go back and find out how they're going. Since you have gone, she says, we decided there was more women in this village who needed help. So we've formed our own groups, new groups, and we're training them. We don't need you to come anymore. That's not very acceptable, is it? I want to be badly needed. We don't need you. We're training them. And these 60, we've formed three new self-help groups for women, we've formed three for youth, and we've formed four for children. And now we don't just carry 200 women in our branches. Yeah? We carry 340 people in our branches. Because from little things, big things grow. One of the women sitting there, was her name was Odette, and I said, she's only been in a group for one year. I said, Odette, she, you know, all the women want to tell you their story. And she says, I've been, she, she jumps to her feet, and she says, I want to tell you that one year ago, I was despised in this village. The people were scared of me, and I was scared of them, because I was an angry woman. I was angry because I was poor, and I was angry because I had no hope. And now, one year later, She's joined this committee. 
And I said to her, well, I think I'd better come to your house and find out what's going on here. And I went to her house and I met with her and I met with her husband. I met with her children. She tells me that one year ago, her and her husband, he would beat her constantly. He beat her because she never provided, she never contributed, and because he was desperately sad how they were going to make it. And she said, we had nothing and no one would come to our home and no one would talk to us. Every day, we, every night we would go out and we'd find a banana beer, very, very cheap beer. We'd both just get drunk. On the way back home, we would fall into, she'd call them the trenches, I'm sure it just meant like ditches. We'd fall into the ditch and our children would come and find us in the morning and bring us home. And she said, and then a year ago I joined this group because this woman kept coming to our house and encouraging us. And she says, today all of my children go to school and we pay for it. We have three meals a day. We have bought cows and goats and pigs. I run a business. She does hair. She does, she's a barber. She's the local barber. She's bought little clippers. She does all the hair clipping in the village. She says, and the women come and line up at my house and have coffee and tea with me. And she says, and my husband and I love each other. And at that point, they held hands and kissed each other and said, our life has been completely transformed. One year. Because from little things, from tiny, tiny little things, amazing things grow when God gets involved. She also tells me, I go to the local church and she pointed across the hill. I would be, it would be kilometres away. I could see a speck. She says, we go every day, every, every week to church. She says, because I want to give thanks for the change that's happened in, her, in our life. And her son, Alex, was 20, is 20 years old. This has been a long-term issue. And Alex came and stood at the front door and leaned against the door jamb and cried. And I went and said to him, what difference has it made for you, Alex? And he said, he said I was such, so ashamed. I was so ashamed. And he said, and now, women come to my mother's house. Women are my mother's friends. He said, everything has changed in our home. You know, this time when I went back, the other thing that I saw has happened is they've formed what's called a federation. And a federation is when 10 or more villages, 2,000 2, plus women, come into a group, come in together. So let's just give crosses for those. I can't quite do any more circles. And this becomes, and now we've, we've formed the first federation in that area, which has got 2,500 women in it. And one of these little seeds has now become the head of this. A woman that three years ago had nothing can now lead 2,500 women. It's crazy. And you know, all I do is when I see this picture, let me just maybe just draw over the top of this. When I see this, I think all I see is the tree now. This is a tree. And in this tree are all these beautiful birds, literally, actually. <laughs> all these birds sit in the trees. And, you know, one of these... Um, women. I met, uh, I met a woman who is a leader of this in another area. In this district, it's actually a woman I've met. I've known her. I've known her for three years. 
I've known her since the first day she struggled to even form a group and sat on the outside and looked like a complete outsider and rejected member of the community. And when I went back this time, I, I heard that there'd been a, a federation formed and I thought, who's the head of the federation? And they said, oh, you're going to meet her on Thursday. And when I went to meet her, it was Virginie, who had been this timid woman who last year I'd seen really grow. In fact, last year I met her and she was in a group talking about innovation and she, like someone was saying, what's your innovation? And Virginie had said, I do envelopes. I thought, envelopes? And what she meant was paper bags because she sold, she sold fruit and veg. And she said, I just have little, she has little paper bags so people can take away more than 10 tomatoes so she could sell more. Oh, she's just this fantastic woman thinker. But now I met her and she's leading one of these federations, which was just magnificent. And I said to her, Virginie, now what do you see? Because remember at the beginning, all she's thinking about is feeding her own children and feeding her own, you know, getting herself out of that basic poverty. And then she joined one of these groups and she started thinking about her village. And now she's leading this. What are you thinking about? She said, changing child rights across our district. I thought, oh my gosh, what does that mean? She said, well, I live in, she goes, we never understood that you didn't beat your children, that you didn't deny your children food because you wanted them to work harder. But now I've learnt that. She said, I just want to teach child rights and child responsibilities across our whole community. You know, a woman I met 10 years ago was a woman called Redemptor. And Redemptor's been a leader of this for about nine years. And I went back this time and I caught up with Redemptor. And I asked her at one point about vision. I don't know, I can't remember how it came up. But you know what, when a woman, you know, I go to some of these leadership conferences and people are talking about vision, you've heard that. And sometimes you just think, oh yeah, whatever. Everyone's got these ideas. But you know what a woman like Redemptor speaks when she's come from that kind of level of poverty? You listen. Let's just listen to what she said in response to me asking her about. You got that ready, you guys? Let's show it. We'll show it one more time. Show it again. You know, I always just hear someone speak like that who's come from abject poverty and think this isn't a concept. This isn't a book learning. This isn't a great idea that they hope they can pass on. This is actually a core belief 
that they have seen evidenced in their life. And Redemptor, her and I laugh a lot because I tell her that when I first met her 10 years ago, she looks younger now than she did then. She looks a lot younger. And she said to me this time, she said, oh, yes, she says, being in the self-help groups is uh, the extra plug we should say it makes you younger. It's, it reduces age. And it's very, very, very true. You know, when Jesus spoke, he was always opening to us, to up to us, the keys of life. And he told stories, parables that were memorable and often simple if we took the time to think them through. See, God's wisdom is not afar off. It's not afar off. And it's not difficult to understand. But this doesn't make it easy. It's not easy to practice. But be reassured, we can start small. Just the way we are. We can start right where we are, whether it be practising patience Maybe I need a bit of that. Growing our faith, being bolder, addressing our brokenness, showing mercy, giving to mission. We can start right where we are, knowing that the kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and he sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and they perch in its branches. And what could be richer than that? I pray that the seed in you, that you don't despise small beginnings. In fact, exactly the opposite. You think, you know what, God, you've planted this tiny seed, but if I nurture it, it's gonna become a fully blown tree and it's gonna actually, so many birds are gonna come and perch in its branches. I pray that Kalamunda doesn't become a tree that looks inward, but a tree that says, we're going to look out so that so many birds can come and perch in this branches, that this place is full. Not only this place is full, but the places we plant into across the developing world, places we plant into across Australia, that we see this tree is flourishing, not for its own sake, that we can have more and more birds come and be planted and grow themselves more trees. God, I pray that. I just pray, just close our eyes. God, I pray right now over our community that as individuals we don't look small because we love the fact that the small things in us that God can do just amazing things with. I pray, Father, that the missions activities that actually become funded by this church flourish they flourish, God. God, I just pray that you can do incredible things with what we just give you. I pray that even now, God, you speak to people's hearts and lives and you make them expectant about their futures. I pray for children sitting in here right now, that your hand is upon them and you've got remarkable things in their future. God, all these things we, we can say with this incredible faith and confidence because none of them are about us doing the work. It's about you in us, helping us to do whatever we need to do, that you may be fully glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.